Why don't we open up to uh, Psalm 42? We're going to begin there uh, today. And uh, for our guests that are here, we, uh, we've been on a, a bit of a sermon series, uh, calling it the Wanderlust series. And uh, this is coming off of a principle of that, uh, so you really guard ourselves from wandering from the things of the Lord, hence wander, and then also lust. Lust is uh, the concept, uh, in, in a basic form, of really like commodifying things, right? So lusting after something is only seeking the, the benefit, the want, the desire. It is a place of selfishness and, and greed, and that can happen in multiple ways, okay? This is not just, you know, in some type of intimacy, but this is also when looking at different items and different people. I mean, you literally could be using someone, right? Which is a type of lust, as it talks about in First John. But when you get really kind of like real spiritual, if you will, you can lust even after God. When you're looking at God as like an object, a commodity to be used, to just be taken. I want this and I need this God. I mean, one way to do that is very simply like, you know, just, just tape your prayer life and see what's coming out of your mouth constantly. Is it, is it, I need this, I want this, please do this, please do this? Is it only seasoned with that? If that's the case, you know, you may be looking to, uh, to God and the Holy Spirit as like the force from Star Wars or something, right? Electrical force, give me what I need, right? And so we want to guard that because uh, it's very important in, in, in the days in which we're living in. And so this one right here is going to be uh, prophesied to the self. I felt like the Lord was, was speaking something to me and uh, reminding me something from my past. So this brings us to Psalm 42, verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance, right, my demeanor, and my God. Lord, we just come before you, and we just thank you, Father, for your presence that's here in our midst. Lord, we just pray that we can have open hearts to receive of your word. Lord, so that we can be molded, and that we can be transformed into your likeness. So we can be your hands and your feet on planet earth. To bring to the lost your salvation message. All God's people said amen. Amen. So I love this psalm. Um, and what I also like about this is that it's one of the few kind of verses, stanzas if you will. If you want to take it as a piece of poetry. Because people sometimes forget like a psalm is a song. Like they literally were singing many of these in the temple, right? So this is a song. This is like a, you know, a 3,000-year-old worship song. And much of it is new lines and new information. But here, Psalm 42.11, Psalm 42.5, Psalm 43.5, all goes back to the same chorus, tagline. I don't know what you want to call it in modern vernacular. But what we have here is that the psalmist would be singing... And in this section of worship, they are coming back to this portion, this chorus line. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me, hoping God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. 
I remember being uh, 20 something years old when I was in uh, graduate school. Uh, I was living in Israel, and it was, uh, and many of you have heard, you know, heard this story a thousand times, some have not, but I, I was living there during a very, very insane time period, okay? Uh, I was going to get a master's degree there in comparative religion and Hebrew. I didn't know a single person. I packed up my life in two suitcases, and I hopped on a plane and went seven hours away and just showed up. It was like, all right, we're going to give it a run, right? If that wasn't crazy enough, my university uh, cafeteria blew up uh, because of a suicide tactic, okay? Uh, the ultra-Orthodox community of Mea Sharim on Saturday nights when the, sh uh, the Sabbath was closing and when the congregation I went to uh, was operating, uh, some of the ultra-Orthodox that are very, very against believers in the land of Israel literally threw smoke bombs into the service, okay? Every week there was a bomb that was going off. It was a time known as Antifata in Arabic, which is like the great rattling, the great shaking. It was nothing like anything I've ever experienced. Coupled on top of that, you know, I'm 20-something years old. I'm away from my family. I'm trying to figure out life. And there were times, man, when my soul was disquieted. And I, it dawned on me that, you know what? The psalmist here states, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? I mean, I'm not trying to get, like, too, like, weird here. But the psalmist here appears appears to be some type of articulation and addressing his spirit man. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to do that. I remember I was driving on my little scooter. And I had to drive on a little Vespa scooter because if you took a bus, it would and could explode. Like outside my dorm, I heard an explosion. I went downstairs and I went to the street and I saw things that I wish my brain could erase. But I can see them, right? Blood, body parts, glass, okay? That was my graduate school experience. But the Lord worked mightily, which is awesome. But I remember driving around in all this chaos, and I remember driving, it's very beautiful, and driving along like the ridge line of Jerusalem and the Jerusalem hills, and I just stopped. And I literally just looked down at my belly, because for some reason I think that's where my spirit man is. And I just looked down there and I said, Why are you disquieted? Why are you down? For hope comes in God. You're born again. You're spirit-filled. He is here. He's with you. And I was speaking to myself to encourage myself. Now, if that sounds weird, I get it, but it's in the book. Sometimes you literally have to stop what you're doing. And you need to remind your spirit man that what the flesh is experiencing is not what is true. Why are you down? Your hope is in God. You're born again, a son or daughter of God. You are the righteousness of God. You're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You're the leader and not the tail, or the head and not the tail, right? I want to choose to do exploits among you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For your rod and your staff shall comfort me. Right? Like, there is a point in time when you just got to get serious with the carnal. And say, no, I'm not, I can't listen to this anymore. Now, it may be coming, but I'm telling you. You may not have to physically, like, position yourself, but I did. And I still do. And this, preparing this message just reminds me, like, you got to do that a little bit more, Dave. 
looking down at myself and saying, Spirit, Dave, the, 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 the being that has been saved, the being that will enter into eternity for all of eternity, like, why are you down, man? Your hope is in God. So, you know, get over it a little bit, you know? Remind yourself, remind your spirit man to be more powerful than the flesh. Remind your Jacob to be exposed and not Esau, right? Because there's always a wrestling in the womb, right? There's always a wrestling in the womb between the twins, between the carnal and the spirit. And the one that will be manifested will be the one that is stronger. And the one that is stronger is the one that is fed. The one that is fed will be trained. Which one are you training? We live in a natural world. So, by default, the natural man will be the one that's fed, that is nurtured, and that is trained. It's just a reality, right? You got to wake up in the morning. You got to go to the bathroom. You got to brush your teeth. Like, my spirit man isn't like, brush my teeth now, you know? Right? But, oh, yeah, he wants to be fed. But you know what's so crazy about feeding the spirit man? It's not, it's not eating. It's fasting. Right? It's the opposite of the world. Right? The flesh wants to be strong and opinionated. And the, and the, and the spirit man wants to be meek and humble. So we got to train it. And to train it, you got to speak to it. Why are you cast out? You need to be stronger than the natural man right now. Now, Let's go to Numbers. I love Numbers. I love the book of Numbers. In Hebrew, it's a Bamidbar, which means in the wilderness. <laughs> so the Hebrew book is called Bamidbar, in the wilderness, and it's really powerful. And I've said this plenty of times here. But the Bamidbar is wilderness, but the Hebrew word to speak is medaber. It's the same root. So it's in the wilderness experience that you can have the Lord speak. But number 16, we have, well, an interesting situation uh, with a gentleman and his 250 cohort by the name of, of course, Korah. You may have not read this in a long Now, Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Reuben took men. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. So these are not just like, you know, the JV squad. This is like varsity. This is like men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves. For all the congregation is holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why then do you, Moses and Aaron, why do you guys exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? <laughs> so what do we have here? We have a spiritual and physical rebellion, a coup d'etat, an overtaking of the state, 
right? You have 250 men that are going up against Moses and Aaron. Why do you guys think that you're so special and you can hear from God and you're going to lead and you're going to do all this kind of stuff? We want a piece of the action. Why do you take too much on yourselves? Now, this is a, a very interesting place uh, because in verse 31, we see the ramification of it. And it's like the best image I could get, which you may not be able to see too well. Now it came to pass, as he finished speaking the words, that the ground split apart under them, and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up, the 250 men and Korah, with their households and all the men with Korah, with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled, as I would, as they cry, at their cry, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were of offering incense. It's like, I don't know, like, I mean, if you, you know, it's very important to read your, you know, read the Bible with your kids. I, I don't know if you're going to be reading this portion before they go to bed. Or you could use it pretty well. Like, you see what happens when people try to usurp the authority of leaders, you know. Of course not, but, yeah. It's funny. I mean, this is, this is pretty serious stuff, and you're like, all right, why were we at just Psalm 42? How, why on earth are we going back to number 16? Well, here we go. What's going on here in number 16 is that Korah is leading a rebellion against God's ordained authority. And why are they doing it? Because Korah is full of pride. He's full of greed. He's full of lust, of power, and prestige. Okay. All right, Dave. What's going on here? But what's going on here is let's return back to Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O oh, my soul, right? Psalms 42, as the deer pans for the water brooks, verse 1. Read what's above it. To the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. A lot of times we don't read the headings. Like, well, I'm going to read the headings. I'm going to read the verse. It, it's, it's, this is in the text. This psalm, Psalm 42, Psalm 43, Psalm 42 and 43, right? Are poems, are songs, are worship songs from the descendants, the sons of Guy Korah who got I don't even want to call it. Like he got absorbed by the earth and fell into the earth. And all the people that were, were following him got burned by fire. It's like, holy cow, this is a psalm by the sons of Korah. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, hmm, when they're penning this psalm, when one wonders if the poet who penned these lyrics was remembering his ignoble beginnings, his distant ancestor who perished in an earthquake for his pride and rebellion. Like, think about this. It's like, like, this is ancient Israel. This is ancient man. Like, your fathers do something wrong. It's like, you kind of carry that. 
right? And, and the rest of society and the tribes will, like, look at you. I mean, we see this. I mean, we, we see this with, with punishments, right? We see, like, an amazing punishment uh, against, uh, against uh, Benjamin because of the actions of the forefathers. It's like, it's not my fault. Like, my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather did this act. Like, well, you're still going to be held accountable. But here they are writing a different thing. Like, it's like, this makes sense. Now, I don't know what the sons of Korah were going through 3,000 years ago, but I imagine spiritually or even, yeah, spiritually, psychologically, that I'm, I imagine that either people in town are like, you remember what your grandparents did? That's in you too. And I imagine that the only way that you can manifest, why are you disquieted? Why are you cast down? Hope in God. Find your identity in God. Don't find your identity in your great-great-great-grandpa. Is being explained here. Okay? So, what's the title of this message? Prophesy to the self. You know people in the community are like, oh, you're one of the descendants of Korah. All right. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Now, what's very beautiful is that I do really do believe in some symbolic sense, in real physical sense, that some of these sons of Korah must have done a pretty good job speaking to their spirit man and not falling into the trap of their father. Pride, power, lust, prestige, why can't I? They had to have. Praise the Lord that they got, at some point they got it right. They broke the chain. Because the sons of Korah, holy cow. Do you know that Samuel the prophet was a son of Korah? You know that in 1 Chronicles 19, it says that the descendants of Korah were actually doorkeepers to the tabernacle? That's amazing. Can you imagine being the doorkeeper? Sounds like a movie, right? The doorkeeper. Like, you are the doorkeeper in the spirit and in the physical. You are outside of the tent of meeting, and you allow people to come in, and you allow people to go out. It's amazing. It says that the sons of Korah also joined David in military exploits. And also, we know that the sons of Korah, they have a position in worship. And they pen, they write 11 of the Psalms. And so what am I doing here? I'm trying to have you take a look at a biblical family in, 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 a, in a situation and say, okay, the father goes down the wrong road, the sons go down the right road. What is the difference? Korah is looking for external prestige and power and identity. The sons clearly prophesy to themselves. Your identity, your hope, everything is in the eternal God. And we know that to be absolutely true because we have a psalm called a contemplation, a reflection, a thinking of the sons of Korah. So, okay, there's the biblical context for this. No, I'm not saying that you're going to fall into a fiery pit, but this is what it is. You may fall into a fiery pit in, in, the, in the spiritual realm. Words about yourself, beliefs about, uh, beliefs about yourself, they are not just powerful, they are your future. Okay? 
The world and the enemy wants to prophesy to you, wants to impact you, wants to tell you what your future will be. The other alternative is that you adopt what God says about you and you articulate that and verbalize that literally out loud to yourself. Because the words that you take in and even the words that you say and what you believe about yourself, it's not just your present. It will dictate what kind of life you'll be living and what kind of life you'll be displaying. Words are not just powerful, they actually foretell the future, right? Um, this, is a, this is actually like a, a bit of a, 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 an educational term and also an educational psych, psych, psychological term. Uh, and that is this concept known as a self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that concept, right? A self-fulfilling prophecy is what you say about yourself and what you believe about yourself will manifest. Right? If you think that you're a fearful person and that you have anxiety, it's going to be manifest. Right? If you think that you are a, 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 a mean person or that no one likes you, it's probably a better example. You will literally adopt body language that manifests that. And then it creates what we call a negative feedback loop, whereby people will now essentially feed into that because that's what's being displayed. Okay? Uh, and so, Josh, can you uh, hit the video that does a better job explaining this? Please. Have you ever predicted something to happen to you and then it actually happened? This is a self-fulfilling prophecy. So what exactly is a self-fulfilling prophecy? Well, it's a prediction that causes a new behavior which makes the original prediction come true. Why? Because there's a link between belief and behavior. What you believe influences how you behave, and your behavior reinforces your beliefs, reinforces your behaviors. This is a positive feedback loop between belief and behavior. In other words, your prediction comes true because you behave in a way that makes it happen, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. Think about all the times you predict your failure or underestimate your ability and then you turn out to be correct. That's because you become what you think about. The mind is like a farmer's land. It will grow whatever you plant. Positive thoughts or negative thoughts. The mind has absolutely no preference. Self-fulfilling prophecies don't always come true. There are always factors outside of your control. But self-fulfilling prophecies are real and they're powerful. So when you're approaching a task or a goal, think about what it is that you want to achieve and truly believe it and your actions will follow accordingly. All right. Let's like uh, spiritualize this a little bit, okay? And I want to slow down and I want to slow down a little bit and, and like there's a simplicity to what I'm teaching right now. But the danger of simplicity is that people will negate its profound nature. It's too simple. I just, of course I know that. Do you really know it? Are you really acting it out? Look, what do you tell yourself? What do you tell yourself that you will be? What are you saying about yourself
We, 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 we need to an, we need, you, need, you need to answer this right now. What are you saying about yourself and what are you telling yourself? Uh, Romans 12, 2, right? We know this one. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I mean, we know this. I mean, we know that we need to have our mind renewed. But what we have here is this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. The verb to be is a place of allowance. You don't allow yourself to be transformed. If you don't want to be transformed, you will not be transformed. To be is a state of action, a state of being. Do you actually want to be transformed? Or have you been caught up in that negative feedback loop where you're just like, no, this is who I am? Well, oh soul, why are you disquieted within me? Your hope comes in God. Now, look, what we have here is, you know, Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says, you know, or really let's go back to verse 4. Titus chapter 3, verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to renew our minds, to tell us different things about ourselves. You know, I got a friend of mine, he would always joke, some of you guys remember him, John Rubel. He would say, oh, you know, talk about like optimism and pessimism, like is the glass half full, the glass is half empty. Uh, and his response is like, oh, half, half full, half empty? Who cares? I got a glass! Now, I always, I, I want to, like, be careful because I, I, this stuff, i got to be honest, this stuff really makes me cringe. Because if I'm listening to this at home or whenever, you know, or even sitting here, I would be like, man, is this, like, one of these other, like, self-help things? I was almost, like, feeling bad, like, writing this sermon. I was like, but I felt like the Lord was on it. Like, this is what we need to understand here, is that this is not a self-help sermon. I know at face value, it appears to be that. This is not a sermon about the power of positive thinking. It's not like you should be an optimist. There's a punchline here that I'm trying to develop. In, like, remember, this sermon series is about wanderlust. It's like, where have we gone? Where has the church gone? What are we setting our eyes on? And I believe that a lot of our teachings over the last several decades has in fact been replicating the sin of Korah. I deserve this. I want this. I deserve to be in this lead position. Not just at a church, but in your family, in your relationships, at work. It is the production of the name it, claim it concept, which is really only focusing on physical benefit. And if that happens, I, you know, I really do think that, in a way, we've come out of balance.
Um, this is this is this is the concept of look, man. Like I've 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 sat in your seats. This is like self fulfilling prophecy. If you believe that you will make more money, you will make more money. If you believe that you are to do get a trade or go to college, you will get a trade. Be optimistic about yourself. Do this. Look, there's there's a place for that. But I'm telling you that it can actually be very satanic. Because I'm just thinking about the number of sermons that I've sat in, which have actually been like just a repackaging of a Tony Robbins seminar. If you don't know that, it's just the major self-help guy. And this is the exposure of are you Korah the father or are you the sons of Korah? It's, 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 I'm telling you, Satan has worked his way into many of the church and many in, much into our mind. And there is a distraction. And then the distraction is creating an element where we are focusing on the wrong thing. And that in fact, we're prophesying something that in fact can be true. And maybe even God wants it to be true. But if it's not in the right spirit, you're just becoming a Korah. And it's, I need this. I want this. I want to be the head and not the tail. I want the more money. I want the more prestige. I need this, Father. I need this. I need that. All of this kind of crazy stuff. Which in my recollection is what Korah was doing in some regards. But we have a mandate from Jesus. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Your food, your clothing, where you're going to live, what you're going to do. Mary, if you could come on down, please. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. Not the kingdom of mammon. Now, honestly, think about these questions for yourself. How much of your time, your energy, your focus, your resources are being spent and sent onto the concept of I want my life to be better? Is there a biblical principle for your life to be better? 100%. If our focus is on that, you are now replicating Korah, not the sons of Korah. You are prophesying the wrong thing to yourself. Or oh, if I just am in agreement with the Lord, I will get this. Oh my gosh, are you serious? Jesus tells us, prophesy to the self, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. And I'm going to be honest, I, I, I have it in my notes and I was like, you know, I'm not going to talk about this, but I just feel maybe I should. You know, some people would be like, oh Dave, that, that's, so, that's so easy for you to say. You have a job, you have a good job, you have a house, you have a nice family. Like, there isn't a lot of struggle, just being real. In fact, I almost feel ashamed, and it's something I have to work on, because we're moving. And we're moving to a dream. We're moving to a farm. And it's nice. Actually, it's really nice. In fact, I don't want to share it with people because I feel guilty. You don't, I'm telling you, man, when you're a pastor and you're trying to lead people, it's like, ugh. 
talking about, oh, Dave, it's so easy for you to talk like this. But you don't know the past, man. You don't know when bombs were literally going off. And the Lord is like, I want you here to be a witness. Like, okay, I became a teacher, but I literally became a teacher, not for the summers off and not for a steady paycheck. I literally became a teacher so that in the first weeks of school, I can look at my attendance roll and pray and prophesy over every single name. And I've had kids write me emails and come to me and be like, you, you, you talked about life and I want to know more about your thoughts on life. And I just share the gospel. There's two families that come to church here as an extension of that. Like, it's everything we do, we need to do seeking his kingdom. If you don't, you're going to become a Korah. But it's so easy to just slip over and be like, well, the Lord wants me to have this kind of benefit. He does. But you can't talk like that, people. You literally cannot talk like that to someone who is a believer in Iran or North Korea. Where's their payday, man? They're going to jail getting their heads cut off. Where is the... the <laughs> it's so ridiculous. It's like, where is the pr pr prosperity theology in North Korea right now? No. We seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then He'll provide for our needs. We need to prophesy to ourselves. We all prophesy things to ourselves. And pastors and ministries will prophesy things to you. But what I'm telling you is that we are perfectly useless as Christians if all we do is conform to the world around us. If we prophesy the same things that Wall Street prophesies, if we prophesy to ourselves the same thing that Tony Robbins prophesies, if we prophesy to ourselves the same thing that the YouTube channel prophesies for motivation, we are no different than the rest of the world. What are we supposed to be prophesying to ourselves? Pick up your cross daily. Deny yourself. Give unto others. And then you'll see the Lord bestow blessings upon you. We prophesying to ourselves. Paul the Apostle. Oh, so that I can know the fellowship of your sufferings of the cross. When as a pastor profed you out on that. Lord, I, uh, you go up to a guy, I need a prophetic word. I have this big change coming in my life. And, and someone comes like, you know what I'm going to prophesy over you? That you would know the fellowship of his suffering. That you lay down your life and pick up your cross. That used to be old school Pentecostal messages. That was like the teachings of Jonathan Edwards and Whitfield. You gotta prophesy to yourself. Repent. Everything in me that is of the flesh needs to die so that my soul will no longer be disquieted. The soul is disquieted because something else is speaking louder. And in the West, a lot of the messages are articulating and echoing that. Oh soul, do not be disquieted. 
Don't listen to the loud noise of the vernacular of getting what you want. I'm telling you guys, I know. Come on, man. I know the Bible decent. Maybe not as well as Jamie, but I know it pretty decent.